That's part of the fun is going out to talk to somebody wearing a Trump hat and they'll agree with me. Oh, I love that you think that's part of the fun. Uh, yeah. I'll, I love that. Several, several like, okay, I believe this and this and this and this. And they'll say, well, yeah, I do too. And that, and then they, well, I can never vote for a Democrat. Do you say why? Do they have an answer that isn't just Democrats are evil? It's just condition. It's Pavlovian conditioning. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is part of an extended series leading up to the midterm elections called Candidate Conversations, where we chat with candidates from across the country whose races are deeply important, but might not be getting as much of our attention. Our guest today is Lieutenant Colonel Brian Bangs, career military lawyer and professor running for Senate against long-term Republican incumbent, Senate Minority Whip, and Mitch McConnell's second-in-command, John Thune. Brian's candidacy has largely gone under the radar because South Dakota is considered a safe red state, a rural state, a Trump state, home to Governor Kristi Noem and zero COVID restrictions. They've got Mount Rushmore and the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. But it's also the home of nine native reservations. One alone, the Pine Ridge Reservation, has a bigger landmass than the entire state of Connecticut. And it's home to good, decent Midwestern people who, when polled, only found 36% who were looking to re-elect Senator John Thune. I'm having Brian on the show today because A, I think with the right support, he could actually win. And B, I believe that we have to stop ceding rural territories and states to Republicans. The heartland used to be a stronghold for the Democrats, but there's been a growing and perhaps self-fulfilling belief that the Democratic Party can't compete in rural America. And that's just not true. South Dakota may be a red state, but Brian's campaign is resonating with the people. Polling and surveys show that when voters are presented with head-to-head profiles between Bangs and Thune, Bangs wins every time. We just need to make sure that people see him as a real contender. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, JAG lawyer, career veteran of both the U.S. Navy and the Air Force, and Senate candidate for South Dakota, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Bangs. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to uh, your people. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. You burst into my consciousness with that absolutely stellar ad, right? You had this great ad with two people competing to survive in the South Dakota Badlands. One was a native to the area, prepared and experienced in survival, and the other was your opponent, John Thune. And the ad, which I highly recommend to anybody to watch, and I will link in my show notes, doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, right? And it brings home this idea that your opponent is no longer a man of the people, but a creature of Washington. And his success is garnered on the backs of those who put him in office, but who he's forgotten that he represents. And you introduce yourself as an alternative to change that. Exactly. And so that, uh, you know, I'm not going to take credit for creating that concept, but it, uh, after long conversations with the, with the director that we have, who's just stellar, fantastic individual, who's just you know, crazy ideas. We had this idea because he really wanted to do a Western. And so South Dakota lends itself to that. And the theme took off from there. And it was just a great time filming it. And we really got the messages out that we wanted to really encapsulate there. And so it kind of hits you in a gut with it when it's when the surprise turn takes place. You are someone who announced your candidacy right after January 6th. And as a veteran, I'm sure you've seen the horrors of authoritarian regimes around the world. And I'm assuming you watched that day and felt like you needed to do something to make sure that that type of government didn't flourish here. Yeah. So that that is probably the single greatest impetus for me deciding to run is uh, I was at home doing some research for a book project that I was working on at the time. 
And I, I would go check in and like, oh, there's this rally. And then, okay, they're marching at the Capitol. And then all of a sudden they're in the Capitol. So I'm glued to the screen at that point watching this and, and just getting more angry and angry as time progressed. So it felt similar to the reaction I had when I was on active duty watching the 9-11 attacks take place. And, and so at that point, you know, I'm, I'm motivated to do something, but I'm military. So I'm motivated to, okay, who's in charge? What are we going to do? And in the aftermath of that event, uh, our Senator John Thune said, described it as a very unfortunate display, which was a stupendous undersell of what was going on. And uh, he was not interested in doing anything. And I didn't see other folks stepping up. So then I realized, well, somebody's got to do something. I'm somebody. I'm going to do something. So that's why, for the most part, I'm in this race as the big, big jump in reason for that purpose. Yeah. And you've been very clear that you're not a politician, right? You're a 26 year veteran of the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force who spent his entire career fighting corruption as a federal ethics advisor and prosecutor for the JAG Corps, right? Your job was to ensure that the government was as ethical as possible. So it must be pretty hard to watch what's happening, considering that's what you spent your career fighting against. Yeah, I I, I guess I've been institutionalized by that former job. And uh, I've been accused of being somewhat of an idealist. And so I guess I'll, I'll take that mantle that uh, some we need to have some idealism. And I'm not so naive as to think that we can actually, I, that I could actually change everything immediately myself. But uh, I, I, I want to be able to do something and start pushing the ball down the field and making enough noise so that hopefully I can get somebody else to join me in pushing the ball down the field to get the legal and illegal corruption out of government that we, we've just become so accustomed to. And we're just, oh, that's, that's how it is. So when I'm talking to people and say, hey, I, I believe the money has corrupted our politics through and through, and everybody literally to a person says, yeah, well, well, duh, of course we know that. And yet nobody's doing anything about it. And yet all the voters that I've talked to want something to be done. So the problem that we have is with the people that we send to D.C. not being willing to, to do what needs to be done, even though it is, and I understand somewhat like uh, you know Don Quixote going after windmills, but somebody needs to go after the windmills. And that's another reason I'm running. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, listen, I'm all for idealism. You know, I started my project because I was like, I have to fix this. And you're like, how does this woman who started in her kitchen ranting at the screen fix anything, right? But we need every single American to realize that democracy is all of our responsibility. We can't just leave it to the powers that be because often the powers that be brought us right to this spot and it's not a good spot. I wouldn't be shocking you if I said we're not in a good place, right? The Republican Party itself truly no longer seems to care about democracy. In fact, they're quite willing to abandon it and the will of the people for continued power. You studied history and international law. You served in the military most of your life. You must see that with some perspective on how that affects us, both sort of historically and on a global stage, to watch one major party in a two-party system abandon the very fundamentals of our country. Far too many Americans have lost faith in democracy. And I understand why, in the sense, as we talked about before, that when you think that the career politicians aren't doing what they said that we do, and I, again, I point this back to the corruption of money in politics, that if your, vote, if your vote doesn't matter, which to a great extent, a lot of people feel that way. And, and again, I understand why that it's just going to be the, the wealthy folks, the large corporations that are buying the politicians and their voice matters more so than my voice. And we have to have to get money out of politics to the maximum extent possible to restore faith in democracy because we should not be in a position where the greatest tool to stand up against the power of big money and uh, influence, democracy, is being undermined by big money and influence for their own benefit. That is wrong, and it's going to be a detriment to our country and to the world. 
Absolutely. This is also why we can't just abandon what's considered red states or red districts to Republicans, because we miss out on so many great leaders like you, right? I mean, I said in the introduction that South Dakota is considered a safe red state, but that's maybe less due to the people leaving the Democratic Party than the Democratic Party itself leaving the people, right? When polled, so many South Dakotans, like you're saying, they actually connect more with you, what you stand for, getting money out of politics, protecting small businesses, protecting family farms, reaching forward into the world to be a new leader in uh, wind power or solar power that you could absolutely do there in South Dakota. And they they respond to you more than they respond to your opponent. And people, including some of the Democratic powers that be, simply assume that because you're running against a Republican, you can't win. But I think we have to stop buying into that narrative and we have to stop allowing people to think that democracy can't work for them because why would they think it would if no one is out there representing them? Exactly. So South Dakota is the home of George McGovern. It's the home of Tom Daschle. We've had a long history of producing some very prominent names. Hubert Humphrey was born in South Dakota and, and spent some time in South Dakota before he moved to Minnesota. That is a state that votes progressive when you don't have the D next to something. So the people believe the same thing, but they've just got this Pavlovian conditioning that the conservative networks, the conservative media environment has conditioned them. You can't vote D because they're evil. And yet when there's no D behind the issues, they vote very progressive. And we just need to get over the Democratic Party uh, abandoning the 50 state plan. They, they should not do that. You don't cede territory when you can make hay here. Does there require a little bit of extra effort? Absolutely. And do we have people that are willing to do it? Yes, but we need to have national support. So at this point, I, I can say the support that I've gotten from the national party is that they've not given money to my opponent. So that's good. But other than that, <laughs> uh, you know, they've, they've not really gone out of their way to help me, even in the face of polling that says, hey, this is an opportunity here to at least come close, if not win. And the budget in South Dakota is a fraction of what it would be in you know, Pennsylvania or Georgia or Florida. It is a fraction of that because it is a, a rural state. Yeah, it's an absolute uh, travesty that people like you are left behind because, and you're not alone. There's people in rural Texas that are saying, send me Democratic money. Like I can win, I can win. There's people in Wisconsin, there's people in in all over the country that could win if, if the national powers that be saw their races as all competitive. And I think often we forget to do that. You know, when you started your campaign, no one even knew about you, right? You had little to no support from the party. You still kind of have little to no support from the party. And you had no idea how to run a campaign because why would you, right? You were a career military veteran, a lawyer, a scholar, a professor. So what changed? How did you get things rolling? How'd you get the great team you have around you now? Uh, and I will say that it's not due to my own uh, ability to go, hey, this is what we need to do. It was due to people who were interested in South Dakota with experienced uh, individuals that said that have been on multiple campaigns before to say, hey, I, I think maybe we have something in this candidate and to say, all right, let's try to build a team that knows what they're doing around him. And that is entirely you know, me going, hey, I think you know what you're doing. So uh, yeah, whatever you think I should be doing, that's what I'll do as long as I get to keep saying the message that I want to keep saying. And, and that is what has happened to why we built up into what we have today from me, again, not being a career politician. And that is the big impediment that I have in the state is that I'm not a career politician. So people don't know me. But at the same time, when they find out I'm not a career politician like John Thune, that is a big benefit. So it's a two-sided coin. It's just a matter of getting the message out for people to go, hey, yeah, I want somebody that hasn't spent their life in D.C. politics to be doing something on behalf of me and my family.
Well, it's obviously working because Senator Thune is suddenly making public appearances in your state instead of just fundraising for Republicans around the country like he usually does. You are running a legitimately competitive race and Thune and the Republicans are noticing even if the Democrats aren't. Yeah, well, I, I think that's true. And we've tried to point that out to the National Party again that, hey, John Thune spent some time in South Dakota. He's still not acknowledging me or talking to me. He, he, he's running unopposed in his mind. And I'm out talking to people asking, hey, do you want to have a conversation about this issue or that issue or any other issues? And he's ignoring those requests and going about his business because he's confident that the R means something in South Dakota and the D is fatal. It's just a matter of, as we've talked about before, getting the message out and talking to people because my background is very different from his in the sense that I've actually done things that required a significant amount of personal sacrifice for a long period of time for our country and uh, for the people of South Dakota and the United States. And let's talk a little bit about your background, right? You grew up actually in rural Iowa, mm -hmm. right? Doing things like delivering newspapers and endearingly Midwestern things like <laughs> detasseling corn, yeah. which I loved. I was like, detasseling corn, how <laughs> fabulous. But you joined the military right after high school and you ended up living all over the world. US, Japan, Germany, Kuwait, Qatar. Interspersed along the way, you attended Iowa State University where you met your wife. Mm -hmm. You got your law degree. You took night classes to complete a master's in history. Then you were selected by the JAG Corps to attend George Washington University for another master's in international law. You had two daughters. You taught at the U.S. Air Force Academy, the NATO school, and the International Institute of Humanitarian Law. Mm -hmm. In fact, it wasn't until you retired from the Air Force in 2016 that you were finally able to settle your family in one place. And you and your family decided on Aberdeen, South Dakota. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've had a an extraordinary life, I guess. The the Air Force has been, uh, you know, definitely probably the best thing that's happened to me in terms of uh, professional and personal experiences for both me and my family, uh, allowing me to do things that I never imagined I would do and live in places that I've never imagined I would get to go. So when I retired, I was looking for a Midwestern experience. My wife is from a small Midwestern town as well. And we were looking for a similar childhood for our daughters because they were born into the nomadic military lifestyle. And uh, we ended up settling on Aberdeen because I had the opportunity to teach criminal justice and homeland security. And I could ride an ATV to work every day, which was another bonus, and, uh, and just have a good time working with students who grew up like me in a small town, rural community, and, and try to highlight the opportunities that are available to them if they seize the initiative and they work hard. And I'm proud to say that I've had several students go on to law school that weren't thinking of law school before. And I said, you know, in my class, you seem to have the skill set for this. Maybe you should be considering this. And so with a little extra pushing, they're, they're on a path to a, a great future for themselves. Oh, that's marvelous. But Aberdeen is actually the longest you've ever lived anywhere since leaving your parents' house, right? And joining the Navy? Yeah. So, so I, like, this is, this is the place you chose South Dakota for yourself. You chose it with your family. This is where you chose to be from. And I think that makes you very connected to your fellow South Dakotans, right? This small, uh, close-knit community where you're sort of a part of something. You can see that people's votes and their thoughts and their experiences and the knowledge they have of your state, it really makes a difference. So someone like you who lives there and is part of the people and has grown up in this kind of world and then has had your life experience really would be a better person to serve this state than someone who has spent his entire life living in Washington. Yeah, and that's of course how I feel. Aberdeen is the third largest city in the, in the state. And you know, for some folks that don't live in South Dakota, the less than 30,000 people uh, is, is a large city by South Dakota standards, but 
compared to some places that I've lived, it is it is very small town. So that's what we're looking for is you have enough amenities in town. And my daughters are they're from South Dakota. They're from Aberdeen. This is their hometown. This is where their friends are. This is the school that they know. Uh, so we've adopted it as the hometown for the girls. And that was a big factor of where we're going to raise the kids is a, a good place where they can you know go to the pool, ride their bikes. And now they're working at the pool, helping other kids. Uh, so South Dakota, small town. I'm a small town guy through and through. The town I grew up in was 600 people when I lived there. And it's just it's part of my identity. The, the working class folks, the the people that make the country go. And I've watched over the years as the D.C. politics have kind of left behind the working class, the middle class. And that's who I am. And that's what I that I that's what I want to look out for. Those people that are being forgotten in the Midwest as the Democratic Party has kind of moved on and said, we're going to focus on the big population centers on the coast because that's where the people are. That's great. But in our system of government, every state has two senators and you know we have a representative and it's disproportionate in terms of representational purposes. So you need to play the game everywhere and you can reach these people if you know how to talk their language and, and know what their concerns are. It's just a matter of playing the game and they're not trying to do it at the national level. Yeah. And we need to change that. We need to be playing in every single state. There is no red state. There are states with Americans and we need to speak right to them. Like you are running at what people call a prairie populist, right? Mm -hmm. So your positions and your personality are deeply popular. You know, making the rich pay their fair share in taxes, having a government that works for the working class, the need for democratic reforms to make the government itself more fair. These are important things. You know, what are some of the things that you're thinking about on your agenda that you would like to address if you got to be a senator? Well, one of the big things that I've heard from people uh, across the board, no matter what their political orientation, is the cost of health care and that it's exorbitant. And then people are worried about, well, if I lose my job, I lose my health care or I have to keep working past when I hope to retire because I have to be able to have health care and I can't I'm, I'm in this bubble and I can't I'm not eligible for Medicare yet. So I have to just keep working up until that point. So the cost of health care is a big thing. And people all know it. Our health care system is jacked up in this country. We pay the highest per capita costs in the world, and we get adequate results at best. And uh, related to that is the, the cost of prescription drugs, which I also hear about, in particular, insulin. The cost of insulin has gone up 1,000% since 1999, and I've not found anybody yet who can explain, well, yeah, you know, the cost has gone up for production. That's not the case. We have the most expensive insulin in the world, and uh, a, a huge percentage of the South Dakota population is either diabetic or connected family members, friends with someone who is diabetic. So we need to be looking out for the regular people rather than just seeing them as an opportunity to make money for the, the super rich and the large corporations. They should not be treated this way. So healthcare, the maximizing the ability and the affordability of uh, individuals to be able to get healthcare and prescription drugs, that is one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue that I'm gonna be hoping to pursue at the national level. Yeah, that's a hugely important issue and exactly what the Democrats are supposed to stand for, you yeah. know, but it's also these same people that we want to protect from uh, extraordinary health care costs and extraordinary prescription drug prices are also we need to protect their Social Security. And if they are on Medicare, we need to protect their Medicare. And 
the Republicans are telling us they're willing to eliminate those programs, right? You've talked about how you want to pass new antitrust laws to break up these giant corporations and monopolies in America, like the meatpacking cartels in South Dakota that are using their excessive market power to unfairly squeeze family farms and ranchers and consumers for, again, profit, right? We have to get this dark money out of politics. And you are so clear when you say that, that you see it as corrosive and how it incentivizes career politicians like John Thune to put their donors in front of their constituents because those are the people that are really paying their bills. And I look at your policies and I see that you you would be someone that would be out there representing all of South Dakota. You would be a champion for everyone, including all of the Native people on your land. I mean, the amount of indigenous people that live in South Dakota is extraordinary. And yet you have one party that sort of ignores them completely. And then you have you, who is a champion for increased funding for Native American treaty obligations. And that's everything from healthcare education to law enforcement for the tribes in South Dakota. And I think these are essential things that people have to say, yeah, that's something I can get behind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, today's Native American Day in South Dakota. And it's been, uh, we were one of the early states to adopt Native American Day in lieu of Columbus Day, because we have such a huge Native population here. We have nine reservations in this state. I'm proud to say that I visited all of them, and I've spoken to people from everyone. And I was shocked when I heard, when I, when I go out and say, hey, what do you think the federal government needs to do differently, better, or stop doing that would help you? And I heard the same things from every person on, on every reservation, which suggests, obviously, that it's a systemic problem. So we heard about healthcare, better healthcare, better law enforcement, better education, uh, just more job opportunities, economic opportunities to work and, and make some money on the reservation. So these things have been overlooked by the Republican Party because the the native population has historically voted Democrat. So they don't know that they're going to get a lot of votes there and they just kind of ignore it. And South Dakota has a long history going back quite a ways of trying to if not actively suppress, just not make it easy for Native Americans to vote for pretty much the same reason. And I'm trying to have a very different approach that uh, ad- acknowledges and admits, which is another issue that we have in the state, the maltreatment of individuals of Native uh, populations collectively and individually over the years and says, okay, so we've we've done done poorly by you as a country and as a state, and we should do better. We owe you better. And you deserve it in the sense that, uh, you know, our first first people have contributed a huge amount to the state and the country, and we need to do better by them. Yeah, no, it's definitely not just a South Dakota problem. That is an American problem through and through. Uh, We have undervalued the people that were here before us ad nauseum over and over again for generations. And yeah, today is Indigenous Peoples Day, and it's good for us to to highlight that. And I, I'd love the idea of having a South Dakota senator who would represent all people of South Dakota, all the peoples. Now, your opponent is, of course, running on your classic Republican tropes because he can't really run on his record or <laughs> on what he's done for the people of South Dakota because what he stands for really isn't that popular, right? He won't debate you, as far as I understand, more than once. And I think he has agreed to debate you four days before the election. Yeah. Is that right? It was either South Dakota Public Broadcasting offered the opportunity to debate sometime. It was later in October. And so I said, well, that's great. And John Thune's people came back and said, well, we can't do that day. And it's either the Friday before the election or not at all. And so. Yeah, because a senator should have so much more to do than debate another (laughs) another potential senator right before an election. But now I'm seeing him at, uh, you know, we were at a parade on Saturday and, and various other events around the state. So he's 
it's clearly not, I don't have the time. It's, I don't know why he won't debate me, but uh, he is just not interested in talking to me or the people of South Dakota about his positions. And, you know, I have my own theories as to why that is, but uh, he really owes it. We're, we're shortchanging democracy fundamentally when we don't have maximum debates. The day after the primary, I issued a press release challenging him to a series of uh, Lincoln-Douglas-style debates in each town of 10,000 or more in South Dakota on single topics, uh, you know, reproductive health, inflation, get, you know, whatever. And Wonderful idea. I've I love that. Debates. I know. I, that was the big selling point for me to get into this race was that I wanted to have public discussions on the big issues that we don't get anymore. And he's just denied me that. Of course he has, because he and Mitch McConnell are hoping that South Dakotans will get sidetracked by their drumbeat of, you know, Pelosi, Biden, socialist agenda, open borders, you know, out of control inflation, crime, crime, you know. But when pollsters test your messages like capping insulin prices and capping drug prices and not taking corporate PAC money and fighting back for the working class and fighting back for seniors, you pull way ahead every single time, right? Like 10 percent ahead of him. So that's why he's not debating you. He's going to look bad. Yeah, You're going to say, here I am. Yeah, here I am. And I've got these ideas. And he's like, I don't have any of that crime, you know, border, yeah. that kind of thing. And that's not going to play. And he knows it. So he's not debating you on purpose. Yeah, uh, that, that's certainly my understanding of it as well. I, again, he won't acknowledge me. I've never spoken to him. The one effort that I did have to speak to him at the state fair a few weeks ago, where I was waiting off to the side at the Republican booth there, because he had people and I was waiting to talk to him and his staff shooed me away and said, it's not the right time. Go away, go away, go away. Uh, so it's just, this is not how democracy is supposed to work. It is not. We'll disagree, but we should have the discussions about disagreeing, not just relying on the, the scare machine, the fear and anger machine. Uh, I'm quite happy to talk about literally any topic. I used to teach criminal justice and homeland security. So you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Absolutely. What we just need to do is get you guys together and make sure that people can be convinced that it's okay to vote for a Democrat. I think yes. that's the biggest problem. Exactly. We need to convince people that it's okay to vote for ideas and people over letters and colors beside their name. Yeah. And that's the, the big uh, disappointment, I guess, when uh, I can go out and, and I've talked individuals wearing Trump. That's part of the fun is going out to talk to somebody wearing a Trump hat and they'll agree. Oh, with I love me that you think that's line. part of the fun. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I love I'll, that. Several, several like, okay, I believe this and this and this and this. And they'll say, well, yeah, I do too. And that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they get around to, so what are you? And, and when I explain, okay, well, you know, I was, I was a lifelong independent until last fall when I decided to run and I decided to run as a Democrat. And then they, well, I can never vote for a Democrat. Uh, you've just agreed with me on these things. So it's- Do you say, do you, when, when someone says that, do you say- why and have them answer you? Do, do they have an answer that isn't just Democrats are evil? The, they, they just, they, they, it's just conditioning. It's Pavlovian conditioning. It's conditioning. That Democrats yeah. are evil. And so it's, it's hard to understand from the standpoint of, you know, you, you agree with me on these things, but you don't want to vote for me given that. But so I'm viewing it more as a, uh, akin to like a drug addict that I can't, you know, I can fault them, but then I can't really blame them for pursuing whatever their addiction is because they're addicted. Uh, so it's just a matter of trying to break the addiction. Yeah. How we're going to do that. Yeah. I, I don't have any you know clear ideas at this point, but we do need to have some way where we can express and discuss ideas in a public forum to try to break through this addiction to the letters that they don't even agree with. 
Well, I think part of breaking through that addiction is candidates like you, is candidates like you running in what are considered safe red states. It's candidates like you standing up and saying, here are my different ideas. And this is not a lost state. And this is not a lost seat to the Republicans because I have a different way of looking at it. And we should be pressuring the national party to be supporting races like yours, because even if you don't win, which by the way, I want to tell you, I believe you actually could, but even if you don't win in this election, you have started the ball rolling, right? We're talking about building a bench in red states, yes. building a bench in in rural areas, in areas that have been ceded, as you said, to the Republican Party. We're talking about not uh, abandoning these groups anymore. And so if we wanted to help you, if we wanted to push forward to help you right now in these last weeks of the race, what can we do? Who can we follow? What would you like from us? Yeah, so obviously money is is the big player, but it is South Dakota. So it is one twentieth the cost for TV ads here in South Dakota compared to something in Philadelphia or Atlanta. Uh, so it is stupendously cheap. But if nothing else, uh, if, you, if you can't afford it, then uh, just volunteering to do texting or uh, phone calls or whatever you can do. And, and you can volunteer on my website, bangsforsenate.com. That is B-E-N-G-S for Senate.com. And, and volunteer and just try to help out to get the message out. Because fundamentally, what the ads are and everything that we were trying to buy uh, is to get the message out for people to go, hey, you know, you're a, you're a dual service veteran and your approach is different and more pragmatic than what we've seen. You're not a career politician. You don't want to be a career politician because I absolutely do not want to spend the rest of my life in Congress should I be elected. Uh, I want to do what I can and then move on so somebody else can come in and do what they can to keep the ball moving. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Brian. I have to say, when I first looked at your race, I adored your attitude and your resume and your fire. But I thought, like a lot of people do, you know, it's too bad Democrats have no chance in South Dakota. I fell into exactly that same trap that the Democratic Party has fallen into over the years, you know, giving up on rural America, assuming it's not in play, abandoning it and its people uh, to the terrible leadership that the Republicans are offering, right? So, we just have to say we're not going to do that anymore, right? And I think people like you are essential and your voice is essential to showing us that there's lots of different ways to be a Democrat, but they all start with believing in democracy and believing that government can be a force for good in this country. Exactly, exactly. And that is what we need. And I would like to highlight that uh, our governor candidate, uh, Jamie Smith, is polling uh, statistically tied with our uh, Republican candidate for governor, Christy Nome, that is, uh, is is quite well known across the country because she's very interested in spending her time becoming a national politician more so than governing itself. She sure is. So yeah, it, it can be done in South Dakota. It's just a matter of having the will and the ability to share the message. In uh, And it's not going to be the same campaign that we would run in a, a large city like Atlanta or Philadelphia because it's not the same people. It's not the same issues. So there's some differences, but we can do it. Again, McGovern has shown we can do it. Dashiell has shown we can do it. And, and these are national figures that have shown that South Dakota can produce some great individuals and have the support of South Dakotans. Yeah. And I think Banks can show we can do it. Thanks. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can't wait to see where you go. <laughs> so that was Brian Banks running for senator of South Dakota. We need to remember that it's not that we can't compete in rural America, it's that we don't. We stopped investing in races that were considered red. We didn't build the bench for future races or future Democratic leaders, which is not only an incredibly defeatist position, but has allowed the Republicans far too much unchallenged power around the country. 
There is no reason, especially with the extremism of today's Republican Party, that the Democrats shouldn't be competitive right across the country. And Brian is proving that South Dakota is on the board. So let's play this freaking game. I want to thank Brian for joining me today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now send some money to the man who could flip a red Senate seat blue while no one was watching. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.